0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, September 13th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa bureau chief and host of the West Block. We discuss the future of the CPC party now that Pierre Polyev has won the leadership race and the impact the death of Queen Elizabeth is having on Canadians.
1: Next, an update on the war in Ukraine. Details on the latest from the battlefield where Ukrainian forces have now regained territory that was originally overtaken by the Russian military through the past few months. We speak with Marcus Holga, founder of disinfowatch.org and senior fellow at the McDonnell Laurier Institute.
0: Then we catch up with a British expat now living in Calgary who served with the Royal Air Force. Andy Johnstone shares his personal experience of meeting both Queen Elizabeth and Prince Charles while he was on active duty in the UK. And
1: finally, we continue our conversation surrounding the death of the Queen with the travel lady, Leslie Cater. Leslie explains how our tourism boom is expected in the UK and not just in the short term, with travellers expected to make journey to london next year for the coronation of king
2: charles iii i'm issuing a challenge to justin trudeau today if you really understand the suffering of canadians commit today that there will be no new tax increases on workers and on seniors none (laughs)
1: That challenge came from Pierre Polyev following his decisive victory in the race for leader of the federal Conservatives. With details on this and the latest news from the nation's capital, we're joined this morning by Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Hi, Mercedes. Hi, Sue and Andy. Uh, Definitely decisive win for sure, and there have been some uh, words tossed about since. Your thoughts and uh, what it feels like in Ottawa with the win by Pierre Polyev? Well, it feels
3: like it's... um it's absolutely a super decisive win for Polyev, which they needed in this leadership because in previous leaderships there's been multiple ballots or it hasn't been clear and that's led to some of that internal backstabbing that took out the last two tory leaders both erin o'toole and andrew sheer taken down by their own caucus members not by uh the opposition or by canadians at, at large so this Absolutely massive leadership win for him. Um sends the message of unity. Everyone is trying to get behind him now. Um, I think there's still concern about some of the things that he said on the campaign trail leading into this, including about cryptocurrency and replacing the governor of the Bank of Canada. You'll notice you didn't hear any of those things in his speech. He may not ever overtly back away from that stuff, but I think you will hear him talk about it a lot less. Because he understands the difference between winning a leadership and what people do to do that and winning a general election and what resonates. And what you heard in that speech very heavily was about workers, about inflation, about the cost of living, about what we call pocketbook issues in politics, and those are things that affect everyone because life has gotten really expensive. And you also saw the way that he framed himself differently. Um, he talked about the fact that he is actually the son of a teenage mother. He was adopted by two teachers and raised. Uh, his wife is an immigrant who came to Canada from Venezuela, fleeing the regime there. Um, he's really playing up those aspects of his life that make him relatable, and that make him seem like he understands everyday Canadians. Um, now, on the other hand, this is also someone who was elected to be an MP at the age of 24. and has been making six figures since then. So his adult life has been all politics. But you can see how good he is at politics, too, with the way that he brings out these things we haven't heard really before um, and and platforms them as a way to try to connect to Canadians.
0: Uh, yes, the big question is, Mercedes, you mentioned it was a decisive win. He is going to go ahead and try to do something that... You know, not only Scheer could not do, but also O'Toole. Uh, We are, uh, who knows if if there will be an election sooner rather than later, like it is planned. Uh, Are we hearing uh, that uh, Justin Trudeau has committed to be the Liberal leader going into this next one? He has,
3: both publicly and privately. Um, In fact, just at caucus, sorry, he's at caucus right now, at cabinet uh, retreat with all his ministers last week. He told them privately he'd be running again. Uh, That's certainly what he had been saying publicly as well so at this point he certainly appears to be ready to run again Uh, you know things can always change in politics but I suspect a guy like Justin Trudeau and a guy like Pierre Polyab would actually like to run against each other Mm. Um, these are two retail politicians who are both populist with very different very strong visions of Canada who are both kind of true believers in in what they are trying to sell people on and I think that um That will really be a fascinating campaign to watch.
1: Very much so. Uh, Has Polly, he named a shadow cabinet, did he not?
3: He is in the process still of figuring out all of those placements. So it's not um, been all named yet. What he did name was the replacement uh, of the head of the Conservative Fund. That's very, very powerful because it's all the party's money. And by the way, the party has a lot of money right now after this leadership race. And he named a guy who was actually Stephen Harper's lawyer. Mm. Um, So an interesting nod to the Harperites there of bringing some people back who have experience. I've been hearing behind the scenes they're having some trouble staffing um, the official leader's office. And this is something all parties deal with, by the way, because the Conservatives, Uh, with a guy named Guy Giorno brought in a law that you can't lobby for five years in Canada after you work as a political staffer at the federal level. Well, lobbyists make a lot of money and that means a lot of folks with a lot of experience who are lobbying now don't necessarily want to leave their jobs to go back into an opposition position when they may not win an election and will take a a significant pay hit for five years. So they not only have to name that front bench in front of the cameras, uh, but they have to put together who who really is driving the bus behind the scenes and i think that's actually the tougher thing for them
0: the uh, death of queen elizabeth II, mercedes being felt across the world and obviously here at home are there discussions about making monday a holiday here in canada as as they're doing in the uk
3: I don't have an answer to that question for you. I know we are preparing um, for events in Canada on Monday. Some of them are still under embargo, which is why I can't talk about all of them. Uh, We received that information to prepare for a broadcast, but we can't always disclose what's actually in it. Um, I haven't heard about a holiday possible. I've never been through the death of a queen before, so I'm not sure how this is going to play out. Uh, But uh, I know the Prime Minister is taking questions today, and I imagine uh, that might be one of the questions that is put
1: to him. Flags are at half mast across Ottawa, though, today, right? And and we'll oh, be yes, until we're, the funeral. we're in
3: like an official period of mourning. Mm-hmm. So and you'll see government officials um, still wearing like black ribbons and stuff when they're walking around.
0: Yeah, lots of talk as far as, you know, uh, what this looks like for us as a nation and even down to the, the currency. And it was uh, told to us that we wouldn't be seeing vast changes. But do you think that there would be a possibility from what you're hearing of seeing King Charles the Third on any of our currency? in in the coming years couple of years
3: yes absolutely all of our currency will change it will just take time so what they tend to wait for is new bills to be issued, and then they're put onto the new bills. So no one's going to take away the cash that you have right now. It's still completely valid. It will continue to circulate probably for quite some time, but you will start to see the king. You will see the king on stamps, and you will notice changes and things that um, you probably haven't realized were named after the queen. So, for example, in court cases, it will no longer be Regina versus. It will be Rex versus whoever, in a criminal case or a case with the government. It will not be the Court of Queen's Bench. It will be the Court of King's Bench. And here in Ottawa, it will not be Her Majesty's loyal opposition. It will be His Majesty's loyal opposition.
1: Some subtle changes, but uh, very different, something we've never really experienced in our lifetime for sure, is it?
3: Yeah, it's, uh, there were things I really hadn't thought about. I mean, I knew, I knew subconsciously, I guess, they're named after
1: the Queen and where it came from, but it hadn't occurred to mm-hmm. me those names would all have to change. Fascinating. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it always. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief. She is host of the West Block, and West Block, obviously, uh, you see it on global television, but it re-airs Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on 770 CHQR. Ukrainian forces continue to push Russian invaders back towards the border. With details on the latest from the war in Ukraine, we're joined this morning by Marcus Kolga, founder of disinfowatch.org and a senior fellow at the McDonnell-Laurier Institute's Centre for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad. Good morning once again to you, Marcus. Thanks for joining us again.
2: Good morning, Sue. Thanks for having me on.
1: Okay, so interesting to see that uh, Ukrainian forces are now pushing the Russians back. So uh, how much territory have they re-liberated?
2: Well, so far uh, over the basically over the weekend, uh, according to reports, uh, the Ukrainian forces have uh, taken back over 600 or sorry rather 6,000 square kilometers of territory. This is almost as much as as uh, russia has taken over the uh, over the past six months so they're making really significant gains um they're they're uh in lightning fast uh russian troops are reportedly um engaging some mass surrender they're in in the south of, of ukraine uh, they're talking to the ukrainians uh, uh trying to uh surrender their forces there uh in the east there are reports that uh, Russian troops are simply, um, you know, stripping off their uniforms, putting on civilian uh, clothing where they can find them, and basically running towards towards Russia. So this is a, a, a pretty shocking turn of events, uh, somewhat unexpected, uh, but uh, uh, but but certainly uh, uh, good news for for Ukraine, and I think uh, all Western democracies that are that are supporting Ukraine right now.
0: Marcus, to what do we attribute this uh, recent success uh, coming from Ukraine? Is it the sheer, you know, skill and, and the backing with these weapons that we've seen, and the training the Ukraine uh, Ukrainian soldiers and civilians have had, or is it the Russian military, you know, literally falling apart?
2: Well, it's uh, it's, it's certainly a combination of things. Uh, you know, Canada, of course, has been in Ukraine since 2015, training uh, Ukrainian forces, so that's made a, a significant difference throughout the past. Uh, six months. Uh, you know, Western weapons that are being sent, these modern, uh, high-precision artillery uh, weapons that have been sent from the U.S., other European countries, certainly Canada as well, um, those are are uh, certainly making a difference. Uh, they uh, are outgunning uh, Russians, this old-school, sort of Cold War-style technology uh, that, uh, that Russia has. And I think the sanctions that we put in place on Russia, its uh, that those sanctions are preventing Russian forces from repairing the weapons that they have. Um, there have been reports over the past several months that Russian troops are, are stripping appliances, household appliances, dishwashers and such, dryers, um, for various different parts to repair their weapons. So they're just unable to maintain their own weaponry. And, and from, uh, from all reports that we're hearing, um, Russian troops are also completely demoralized. Uh, they don't quite understand why they're uh, fighting this war. Um, they're not motivated to fight, whereas the Ukrainian side, these are uh, soldiers that are fighting for their homes, mm-hmm. uh, and so they're highly motivated, uh, and they're highly skilled. They're well trained, and again, they have they have the weapons to do it. So I think uh, this combination of things is is really uh, playing into these uh, these Ukrainian victories.
1: So, Marcus, uh, you know, with the the Ukrainian forces pushing back and and retaking their own land, how much longer can a conflict like this go on? Do we think?
2: Oh, it's hard to say right now. I mean, these, uh, you know, these gains that Ukraine has made over the past weekend, um, you know, I think they're a cause for optimism. Um, but let's not forget, Russia is a huge country. They have uh, lots of weapons in store. Uh, they could engage, Putin could order a general mobilization, which would uh, supply him with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of more troops, uh, if he wishes. Um, so it's, it's really hard to say. Um, you know, I think everyone is keeping an eye on what Vladimir Putin will do over the coming weeks and months, um, certainly over the next days. Um, there's real fear right now that uh, Putin could lash out uh, at Ukraine. We've seen over the past couple of days the shelling of civilian infrastructure yet again. Um, there is there's real fear in Ukraine that Russia will target uh, various different uh, energy plants, uh, water supplies and such to basically try and uh, black out in all of Ukraine, uh, to starve it of food and water. Um, and there's very real concern today. Um, there are reports of Ukraine that the Ukrainian government is concerned that Russia might target the Zephyrus nuclear plant and cause some sort of a catastrophe there in retaliation for these gains. So um, really anything can happen at this point. And... Uh, you know, I don't think we can let our guards down. Uh, certainly Ukraine can't. Although, again, these, the victories that it has experienced in, in the East and then, certainly now in the South are cause for some
0: optimism. Marcus, at the beginning of the conflict, there was much talk surrounding nuclear weapons perhaps being used by the Russians. That seems to have quieted a bit. But now that we're seeing these latest developments with the Ukrainian forces having success, could that be a possibility?
2: Well, we certainly can't rule out uh, that Vladimir Putin would use nuclear weapons. I mean, um, he's demonstrated that he has no moral conscience when it comes to, um, you know, civilian infrastructure, the lives of civilians. Um, let's not forget that 12, over 12 million Ukrainians have been displaced from their homes. Um, thousands have been killed. Um, you know, uh, civilian infrastructure has been turned into rubble in most of eastern and, and, and southern Ukraine. And, uh, you know, there have been reports over the past, few months that 260,000 children have been actually kidnapped from regions in eastern Ukraine and southern Ukraine by, by Russian forces, taken from, uh, from uh, various different orphanages and, and ripped away from families. So, um, you know, I wouldn't rule out Vladimir Putin using any sort of, uh, you know, whether it's nuclear weapons or, or biological weapons. Uh, I think strategically, if he is thinking strategically, um, he wouldn't do that. It would be suicidal for Vladimir Putin to start uh, launching nuclear weapons into Ukraine. But um, I, if there's going to be any sort of catastrophe, again, I wouldn't uh, rule out uh, something happening at a, at a nuclear power plant, for example, uh, a, a radiation leak. That's that's where something like that could happen. And uh, I, I wouldn't say it's likely, but it's, it's a possibility at this point.
1: That's terrifying. Marcus, thank you so much for your time once again this morning. Always appreciate you breaking it down for us.
2: Anytime. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you, Marcus Kolga, founder of disinfowatch.org and a senior fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute. (music) The passing of Queen Elizabeth II has affected a whole lot of people in many different ways. So this morning, we're talking to Andy Johnstone, who recently emigrated from the UK to Calgary. Good morning, Andy. Thanks for joining us.
4: Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Andy.
1: Pleasure to talk to you. I mean, you spent time in the Royal Air Force. You've been honoured by the Royals. How, Andy, did you feel personally when you heard the news that the Queen had passed?
4: Well, last Thursday, um, it was a shock for sure. Although the Queen was 96 years of age, uh, she'd been around all my life, Um, we knew that she was getting old and frail, but still a, a, a real shock to hear that first of all we heard that she was unwell and the doctors were watching her and then of course we had the sad passing and that bad announcement so a sad day
0: let's talk about your experience obviously you know from from coming from uh, where the queen uh, was reigning and obviously reigning here but uh, being in that atmosphere and from what i understand you've actually you had lunch with the queen at one point is that right
4: yes i was fortunate i served for 34 years in the royal air force um uh, and being in the military, it gave me many uh, opportunities, which you just don't get in Civvy Street. Um, and I was serving at an RAF base in Norfolk, which is the same county the Queen has uh, or had a, a country residence, Sandringham. So um, every two years, the Queen would visit the RAF base and have a, a dinner. And as one of the executive officers, I was fortunate enough to have lunch with the queen and I actually sat not on the top table but the top leg of another table about six feet away from her majesty.
1: Wow what was that like Andy because I hear that you know she always people talk about how she had such a great sense of humor I mean she just would be the ultimate person at a cocktail party or a lunch or whatever you might be at what was it like for you to be there with her?
4: Well first of all I was surprised although she has a tremendous aura was only about five foot tall, and you don't pick that up off postage stamps. You can't really <laughs> get the scale of, of of the Queen, but Her Majesty was was obvious. Um, it's ingrained in every cell in her body. Her Majesty came through. She was funny. She was humorous. We, we remember uh, the Olympic Games in London ten years ago, when she did that uh, sketch with Daniel Craig, the then James Bond, and jumped out of a or seemingly jumped out of a helicopter into the uh, Olympic arena. Uh, More likely with the uh, Platinum Jubilee, of course, she did the little skit with Paddington Bear and pulled out of her um, handbag, a marmalade Mm. sandwich. Um, I could tell when I was sat, as I said, six feet away from her and she was talking to the station commander, they were sharing jokes. She's very knowledgeable about about everything she's modeled about the air force the armed forces of course she was my uh, commander-in-chief as she is for the uh, canadian armed forces um just a, an incredible woman and a tremendous life of um remarkable service and dedication to a country in the commonwealth
0: you have also within your uh, you know resume here andy you received the OBO, the Order of the British Empire, from what we used to call the prince, mm-hmm. now King Charles the Third. And as we change and, and flip the page to a new chapter within the monarchy, there's a lot of questions surrounding what kind of a king Charles will be because the queen is all we've known for the most part for us. What yep. are your thoughts on what's ahead for the monarchy and what type of king we'll see in King Charles Third?
4: Well, as you said, I was fortunate, again, to be presented with my... Uh... OBE by Prince Charles, because that day, unfortunately, the Queen had a bad back. Um, but Prince Charles, now King Charles III, had an apprenticeship of some 70, 73 years. Um, again, he's lived uh, a, a full an interesting life. Um, again, very knowledgeable uh, uh, about global affairs. I think that um, it, it's, the, it, it's a perfect time for Charles to become king. I think he will um, try and emulate his mother with that sense of duty and that service and dedication to the role. Um, I mean, it's a very solemn uh, time, but I'm, I'm, I'm confident that uh, King Charles will do uh, a tremendous job. And then in time, uh, his son, now Prince of Wales, Prince William, Again, I'm absolutely convinced that we will be in safe hands for many, many years to come.
1: Andy, thanks so much for joining us and talking about your experience. Appreciate it this morning.
4: Okay, my pleasure, and I was very, very proud to serve Her majesty.
1: I bet you were. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, Andy Johnstone, expat living here in Calgary, former British military. He received medals for all three Jubilees, had lunch with the Queen, received the Order of the British Empire. So uh, a very proud uh, British subject under the Queen.
0: Talk about a a very uh, unique experience. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of us can say what Andy has done. That's incredible.
1: There are some special travel packages to witness the coronation of King Charles III and they are expected to sell out quickly. To talk about the impact Queen Elizabeth's death has had on the UK travel industry, we're joined this morning by the travel lady, Leslie Cater. Hi, Leslie. Hi, how are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. You as a Brit, how were you feeling? What was your kind of your personal thoughts when you heard the Queen had passed?
5: Oh, you know, I knew that it was going to happen, but I shed a tear. He was such a trooper, just working just two days before she passed away. My goodness me, what a leader.
0: Let's talk about the next steps when it comes to King Charles III. And it's we've learned so much, Leslie, because we've not been through something like this. I was of the school of thought that he is the king and the coronation would be in the next couple of weeks or so. That's not the mm-hmm. case. So can you break down this timeline and uh, the impact it'll have on the travel industry?
5: Right. Well, the timeline is probably going to be a year. Uh, queen Elizabeth herself was only had her coronation about uh, 18 16 to 18 months after she was announced as queen. Mm-hmm. Um so there's two phases here. Obviously there's a lot of interest in going across to Britain to, to be there for the funeral. We've got a lot of government people flying in, and they expect over a million visitors. So they've said no private jets in Heathrow. If you have a private jet, you have to go and land somewhere else. Um, So they're really trying to control who's coming in and and keep things orderly for anybody else who happens to be traveling through Heathrow. So are you you putting
1: together packages then, Leslie? Like, is this something that travel agencies are really starting to work on now?
5: Not necessarily for the uh, funeral, because I think it's going to be extremely difficult to get into London, get any accommodation. There's a lot of local people who are driving up from all over England uh, to be in the crowds. I think the bigger demand is going to be... um, possibly to get in on the coronation because that's going to be an amazing event that's going to go on not just for the day but there's going to be a lot of festivities going over the week and uh, there's a lot of street stuff going parties and flags and a lot of that now we don't know when that's going to be but my biggest thought is that this has re-energized People who have an interest in the monarchy, have an interest in history, to go over to England and see all of these places like Windsor Castle and like Buckingham Palace. So I think there will definitely be interest in that.
0: And so would you suggest that, yeah, beyond this, if you can't make it to the coronation, now's the time to, to make your trip and, and make your plans, you know, post coronation? Yeah.
5: Go and see those places. They're, they're wonderful. You know, it's all the history. The Tower of London, uh, Windsor Castle, it was built hundreds of years ago by William the Conqueror on a strategic point of the Thames. This has made the history of London and Britain come alive in many people's eyes. And I think that's where uh, the tribute to the Queen is going to come and to the new King. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Leslie. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, Sue. Bye, Andy.
1: Leslie Cater, The Travel Lady, online at thetravellady.ca.